I'd just like to add my warm welcome to all of you today, but I know that we have a number of people who are here for a first or second visit, and we're always happy when we have new guests in our midst. Thanks for coming today. We appreciate you. We're glad that you're here. You could be in a thousand different places uh, today, but you chose to come to the gathering, and we're delighted. Thank you for being here. Um, right after the service, we normally enjoy a cup of coffee and some Timbits or donuts or muffins or squares or whatever else is back there, and we hope that you would stay for a few minutes, if you can, and uh, meet some new people. Kids say the funniest things sometimes, don't they? We all have stories of what kids say. I remember when our kids were young and we were, we were trying to teach them that they needed to eat everything on their plate at dinner time, but especially, especially the items that they had chosen for themselves. And about the same time, our eldest, our son Nathan, one of his favorite sayings was, I know what's a good deal, Dad. So he'd say, I know what's a good deal, Dad. Let's go to the 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. I know what's a good deal, Dad. Why don't we go downstairs into my room and do a hard puzzle together? I know what's a good deal, Dad. Let's go for a bike ride. Well, at dinner time one day, Nathan looked down at his rather full plate with some hesitancy, handed me his fork and said, Daddy, can you make me a good deal? <laughs> so he wanted me to separate what I thought he absolutely had to eat from the little bit that might not be required. Daddy, can you make me a good deal? <laughs> Oh, man, I melted. And, of course, I made him a deal and gave him a second chance to finish his dinner. Well, when Jonah cried out from the belly of that great fish, when Jonah cried out in desperation, God made him a deal and gave him a second chance to finish his mission. Two weeks ago, we said from the first chapter of Jonah, we looked at jo uh, Jonah's rebellion and his disobedience from the command of God. God said, go to Nineveh and preach against that great city. But instead, Jonah went down to Joppa and boarded a ship heading for Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And then you'll remember that God hurled, the English Standard Version says, God hurled a great storm upon the sea. The sea became very violent. The, so the sailors on the ship became very afraid. And uh, eventually they tossed Jonah overboard to save themselves and save their ship. So chapter 1 ends with Jonah being swallowed up by this great fish. Chapter 2 opens with Jonah crying out in desperation to God for help. In chapter 1, he talked about God to the sailors, but prayer was the last thing on his mind. Chapter 2 opens with, with Jonah in the belly of this fish, desperate for help, and he begins to pray directly to God. He's praying his brains out, asking God for help. And God was willing to give Jonah a second chance. But the deal that God made Jonah the second time was the same deal that he gave him the first time. He was not willing to take anything off his plate. God still wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel to that exceedingly 
great city. God had called Jonah to be a, a missionary to the Assyrians, this rather barbaric and cruel people. And that was not going to change. God was not going to change the mission. Jonah had been disobedient and defiant, but God gives him a second chance. Verse 1 of Jonah chapter 3 tells us that the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah, the reluctant missionary, now becomes Jonah, the rescued missionary. And from his experience, I think we, we can make several important discoveries about the opportunity that God gives each one of us to share the message of salvation. And the first important discovery contains the missionary mandate. In verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Well, the missionary mandate is a relatively simple one, but it's not particularly easy to obey always. The first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go and preach, Jonah went and hid instead. Now the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, go and preach. And this time Jonah obeys the missionary mandate. We flip to the New Testament uh, parallel passage in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus comes and says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Old Testament and New Testament and present day, God is looking for men and women who are willing to go, to go and make disciples, go across the ocean, go across the country, go across the street, but for heaven's sakes, go and make disciples. The Lord said to Abraham, way back in Genesis chapter 12, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then in Exodus chapter 3, we read the story of the face-to-face -face encounter that Moses had with God on Mount Horeb. And the Lord said to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And then down in verse 10, he says, come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come to me, God said, and I will send you out. Come to me, and I will send you to them. So God calls his people to go. He called Abraham to go. He called Moses to go. He called Jonah to go. And I believe God is calling us to go and make disciples because the missionary mandate has never changed. The second important discovery we make in this passage is, is a, about the missionary message. Verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going about a day's journey. So he's just, you know, roughly halfway into the core of the city. And then he calls out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the message that God, 
The message that God had for this exceedingly great city called Nineveh could be summed up in eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now it's quite possible that Jonah said more than that, but that's all that's been recorded for us. Eight words of impending judgment. Now it's not really the way I would go about doing evangelism. Not today. It's not very seeker-friendly, if you know what I mean. Uh, the message is not really a comforting message. It's not really a, a feel-good message. You're not really preaching to people's felt needs at that point. It's not very cheerful. And it certainly is not very Canadian. Canadians don't get in your face like that. So I got thinking to, this week that if, if I was in charge of the Nineveh for Jesus campaign, it would look a lot different. I would, I would hire an advanced team, and I'd get a PR man, and I'd put together an ad campaign, and I'd buy billboards, and I'd do a social media blitz. I'd start a Facebook page, and I'd get my Twitter team up and running. And then I'd make some Nineveh for Jesus t-shirts, and do some training, and set up buses, and train the counselors, and do a march for Jesus. I'd rent a stadium and buy some TV time and make sure that my son-in-law, Dave, was the producer. And I'd recruit the counselors and I'd print up the materials and I'd set some uh, home prayer meetings up. I'd arrange for simultaneous translations and I'd rehearse the choir with my daughter in charge. And then I'd raise $6 million to get the whole campaign started. That's what I would do. If I was in charge of the world, that's what I would do. But Jonah, huh, Jonah goes to Nineveh and calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, how old school is that? Right? Are you kidding me? What kind of an evangelistic strategy is that? When you give an invitation at the end of a message like that, ain't nobody going to come forward. Are you kidding me? You wouldn't think that kind of preaching would be very successful. And today it, it might not be, <laughs> because we've been conditioned, right? But just, it occurred to me, I wonder, what, I wonder what Jesus preached when he first came on the scene. Do you remember what it was? According to the Gospel of Mark, the very first sermon that Jesus preached went like this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I think he went to the same school of evangelism that Jonah did. 18 words, Jesus' first message in the gospel of Mark. 18 words, about twice as long as Jonah's message, but just as serious and as gloomy as Jonah's message was. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the missionary message. That was the message in Jonah, and that's the message in Mark, and that's the message today in the gathering. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's our message too. And as, as we shape and form that message in a thousand different ways to appeal to a thousand different people, 
creatively shaping the, the, the delivery of our message without ever changing the content of the message, I believe that God will glorify himself and he will draw men and women and boys and girls to a place of repentance and faith in the gospel. And we're seeing it happen already in the short time that we've been together. We've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've seen people baptized. We're about making disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're about seeing transformation take place to the glory of God. God takes such great delight in His creation. He created us in His own image. We're created for His fellowship and for His glory. So He takes great delight in us. Max Lucado wrote once in his books that if he's so crazy about you that if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be held on the, on the freezer door with a magnet. He, he loves you. He's crazy about you. So much so that God sent his one and only son to take our place and to, to, to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ lived a, a perfect, sinless, perfectly obedient life. And then he was crucified and buried and the third day, according to the scriptures, he came out of the grave alive. Jesus paid the price and took our place on the cross. The penalty that we should have paid, he paid it all. And everything we have and everything we are, we owe to him. And now he calls us to repent and believe in the gospel. So the message we bring to Windsor, Essex, from wherever we may be located in the future, It's a message of love and forgiveness, right? It's a message of healing and wholeness. It's a message of salvation and hope. But it must also be a message that lines up with the heart of Jesus for people to repent and believe in the gospel. So the message isn't necessarily always a feel-good message. It's about change. It's about transformation. It's about going God's way and not my way. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the missionary message, and that's the message that we bring to Windsor-Essex. Well, the third important discovery we make from Jonah is what I would call the, the missionary miracle. It begins in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. In other words, let there be a fast in the land, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do, and he did not do it. 
That's an amazing response to the Word of God. Archaeologists and Bible scholars tell us that Nineveh might have been populated by approximately 600,000 people. And, 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 and Jonah chapter 3 tells us that the whole city repented of the evil deeds they had done and believed God. You, you've probably seen one of the latest commercials from Lowe's. It shows this very proud do-it-yourselfer installing a ceiling fan in the family room of the house. Yeah. He proudly gives the fan one last turn with his hands, climbs down the aluminum ladder, steps aside to flip on the switch. And then he stands with his, hips, his hands on his hips, quite proud of his money-saving work. While within a second of the first rotation of the blades, the motor sparks and the fan comes crashing down to the floor, crushing a small table on its way down. That would be my project. And the next thing you see, the, the camera cuts away to the serenity of the outside. It's a nice summer morning, and all of a sudden the fan comes crashing through the picture window of, of, the, of the house, and the words flash on the screen. Need help? And the truth is, we all need help. When it comes to salvation, there is no such thing as a do-it-yourselfer. None of us can do it ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we do that deserves salvation. None of us can do it ourselves. When it comes to starting a relationship with God, we can't DIY. Why? Well, Ephesians makes it very clear that we are saved by grace, God's grace. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. So faith is this sort of instrument. It's the tool through which the grace of God becomes operative in our lives. And this is not from yourselves. Not the faith, not the repentance, not the grace. It doesn't come from us. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, let me take you back to Jonah chapter 3 for a moment. Notice that verse 5 there says that the people of Nineveh believed God. Old Testament and Hebrew scholars tell us that the very first word in the Hebrew construction is the word believed. It's there for emphasis. It points out the absolute importance of believing in God. Believed God, the people of Nineveh did. And it also emphasizes, or the grammar underscores the immediacy of their response. They believed God immediately when Jonah preached his fuzzy, warm message about the, the city being overthrown. Jonah preaches his eight-word sermon, and immediately the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't believe the preacher they didn't believe all the stuff surrounding the presentation of the message. They believed God. And stuff happened. It's amazing. It's a miracle, really. You know, that's kind of like saying that uh, everyone in Tokyo believed God. Or, or, or everyone in, 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 in Kandahar repented. Or it's kind of like saying... Uh, everyone in Mumbai was born again. 
the people of Nineveh believed God, and that's a, that's a missionary miracle. A few weeks ago, when four people indicated at the end of a service here at the gathering, four people indicated that they had received Christ and, and believed in God. That's a miracle, too. Every single salvation, whether it's four or 40 or 400,000, it's a miracle. Wouldn't you agree with that? Amen. And not only that, but they, the text says that they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Immediately, there was evidence of their faith. Immediately, they took action. Immediately, they responded to the word of God in faith. There was fruit of repentance. Even the king was affected by the word of God. Look what this guy does. It's quite amazing. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, which was a sign of serious intent because the king always sat. The people stood, but the king sat. So when the king stood up, everybody's, what's going on? Something serious is happening. The king is standing. It was a sign of serious intent. He removed his robe, a sign of humility. Covered himself with sackcloth. That's a sign of mourning. And he sat in ashes. That's a sign of repentance. So you see, the leader leads the people. The king humbled himself in the sight of God and in the sight of his, his loyal subjects. He humbles himself and sits in the ashes. And then he makes a decree. Look at verse 8. Let everyone call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? And that's a phrase that expresses hope. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I mean, that was a bold and brassy move for the king. Think about it for a minute. Stephen Harper stands before the cameras one day in the House of Commons and calls the people of Canada to repent. He takes off his suit coat and takes off his tie as an act of humility in the House of Commons and bow, gets down into the center of the floor in that, that no man's land in between the, the government and the official opposition. And he gets on his knees and cries out to God. Can you imagine that? It's almost beyond imagination, isn't it? And that's the kind of scene we have here in Nineveh this day. Maybe God will turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. That was a very bold move for that king to make. And folks, I... Unless our city... And unless our county, municipal governments and people respond to the word of God like the king of Nineveh and believe in God like the people of Nineveh, we will be lost in our sin forever. But the good news is that Jesus makes it entirely possible for people to be rescued from the clutches of sin. Jesus makes it absolutely possible for hearts of stone to be turned into hearts of flesh. Jesus makes it absolutely possible for our dead, ordinary lives to come alive again and be filled with the Spirit of Christ. You look at the simple message of the New Testament from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. 
If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I believe God wants that miracle to be repeated in Windsor and Essex County over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I believe God wants that missionary miracle to take place again in our land and in our city. And when I look at what God is doing in our midst, I, I, I say, I, oh, with God all things are possible. I believe God wants to give another chance to people like us, just like he gave another chance to Jonah. God is giving us another chance to share this life-giving message with as many people as possible. The mandate, go and make disciples. The message, Jesus is Lord. The miracle, is happening now. Let's pray together. Father, we are we're moved and we're grateful for your word this morning. Father, I, I just feel, after reading this passage again this morning and preaching on it, I feel so inspired to share the message of God's love with as many people as I can. And I'm praying that the gathering might rise to the challenge of the missionary mandate to go and make disciples. That we will take this message of repentance and faith in, in the gospel to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, before Jesus comes again. And Father, I pray that this missionary miracle of seeing people come to faith after repenting of their sin believing in the gospel of Jesus. I pray that, that that miracle would be repeated over and over again in our midst, in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, and right here at the gathering. Father, I recognize this morning there might even be one or two people who this very moment are ready to believe in Christ. And it's as simple as praying a faith-filled prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to turn away from my sins and my sinful life and turn my life over to you. Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make my life new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live every day to please you and bring you glory. He must increase and I must decrease. Thank you for the salvation gift that you give to all those who repent and believe. And perhaps, yes, even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.